0: He's a wonderful song, Great Truth, I don't know about you, but there's been some times in my life when I've been in a valley and that song, those words, have greatly ministered to me. Your will cannot lead me where your grace... ...it was great uh, statement to live by, great reminder that no matter where we find ourselves in the will of God, He will sustain us by His grace... And uh, that goes for all of us. Thankful for it. Grab your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 14, if you will. Luke chapter 14. And this morning's message and simply entitled, What's Behind the Mask? You'll see where that comes from in a moment. What's Behind the Mask? And uh, Luke chapter 14, we're just going to jump right in. Appreciate you being here this morning. And uh, trust you and I will be edified, encouraged, and exhorted through God's Word this morning. Luke chapter 14, verse number 1. Notice what it says, if you will, with me. If you need a copy of the Scriptures, there's one in front of you. The back of the pew. Love for you to follow along. And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. We focus, first of all, on that first part, and the, re- the actions of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, through Christ's ministry, we find him uh, talking with, uh, even ministering to, maybe even fellowshipping with the lowest of the low. There are times that Christ spoke with prostitutes, criminals, tax collectors, lepers, you name it, the lame, the destitute, Christ ministered to them, Christ conversed with them, Christ had interactions with them, and he took heat for doing so. The religious elite of that day consistently criticized him. Why, why does he sit with sinners? Why does he do that with sinners? Even his disciples sometimes said, why is he talking to her? <laughs> why, is he, why is he conversing with her and him? Even his own disciples did that. Uh, here we read now, where's Christ going? Into the home of one of the Pharisees. Not just a run-of-the-mill Pharisee, but what does the passage say? A chief of the Pharisees. High up. High-ranking, if we may describe him as such. He's been invited to dinner on the Sabbath day, and he goes into this place. And so you and I, as we read this, we might do just what Christ's critics do. Why is Christ hanging out with the Pharisees? We know what the Pharisees are like, self-serving, hypocritical, elite sinners, those who look down their noses on other people. And you and I might be sitting back saying, well, why in the world is Jesus Christ going to eat a meal with a Pharisee? Someone who's turned their back on God, kind of going by their own law instead of God's law, and and deceiving themselves, and others thinking that they're close to God when they're as far away as you could be, and we'll look on that and say, well, why in the world is that? Why does he find himself, why do we find him in Luke 14, sitting in the house of a Pharisee at his table eating? Well, the answer to that question is the same answer of why Jesus Christ sat down with lepers and sinners and the lowest of the low it's simply this christ himself said in luke 19 10 for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost whether it's the house of the pharisee or whether it's the house of the tax collector or whether it's at the well with a seeming prostitute or uh, whatever the case may be reality is this my friend jesus christ came to seek and to save that which was lost you remember when christ said these words Do you remember when Christ uttered this and gave a, a reminder, this is why Christ came? He did it when he was sitting in the house, the home of a cheat, a scoundrel, a tax collector, a publican named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. And it was in that home and in that house that Christ made it clear. He came to seek and to save the lost. Aren't you thankful this morning that that principle applied across the board for Jesus Christ? The lowest of sinners, the greatest of sinners, the the most elite, the highest, uh, no matter where they're found, whether it's in the synagogue or in the gutter, Jesus Christ came to seek them and to save them. Aren't you thankful He came to seek the rich just like He came to seek the poor? Not just the noble sinner, not just the lowest, wickedest sinner, but He came to save them all, each one of us. It's why He sat down with scoundrels like Zacchaeus and, and those hypocrites like the Pharisees. And that's why He talked to lepers and stopped and conversed with the lame and uh, tax collectors, you name it. They all needed Christ. And may I just remind you today, we all need Jesus Christ. And He came, he came to seek and to save each one of us. And for that, I am thankful grateful that he entered the pharisee's house i'm grateful that he entered zacchaeus house and my friend i'm I'm thankful that he talked to criminals tax collectors prostitutes all along the way because everybody needs jesus christ i'm thankful there was a day through his word or through a fellow christian that jesus christ talked to each one of us through his holy spirit through his word he conversed with you and i showing us our great need If we were to describe the Pharisees, we would do so as I did a moment ago. They were typically self-serving hypocrites. And in fact, Jesus Christ himself in a sermon, Matthew chapter 23, he he speaks to that end. He he says that's the case. And uh, uh, he really issues a great condemnation. I mean, he calls them on the carpet in Matthew chapter 23. He exposes them for what they were uh, and uh, their hypocrisy and, and their selfishness and such. Two verses that I think sum it up well are verses 27 and 28. Notice what it says. Christ says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. Verse 28, Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity, full of sin. Okay? They were hypocrites, self-serving men. Okay? I like Webster's Dictionary of the word hypocrite. Okay? Here's what Webster defines it for us as. It, it, the word hypocrite, or tells us also its derivation, ultimately came into English from the Greek word hypocrites, uh, which means an actor or a stage player. Okay? So in that day, the actors would go on stage. Instead of a full regalia of, a, uh, of an outfit, they would just simply wear a mask, typically. And they would play the character, that mask would represent a character and uh, so the term obviously means hypocrite literally pretending to be something they are not and so christ calls them on the carpet and says listen pharisees hey hey religious people of the day you are hypocrites that's literally what christ says the leaders the ones that people looked up to you're hypocrites uh, you're like these stage actors that put on a mask and as we think about these Pharisees as Christ condemns them, we want to do what our title or message says, uh, what's behind the mask. We want to take a peek behind the mask. What were these Pharisees truly like? What, what, why did Christ call them out as hypocrites and condemn them as such? Because we certainly don't want to be there today. We don't want to be lumped into, and often some people will throw Christians as hypocrites or whatever the case may be. We certainly don't want that. We we, we want to avoid that at all costs, being called a hypocrite to the detriment of our testimony for Jesus Christ. So what were they like? Well, there's several realizations or observations, and so I'll give you six observations from the passage that Christ brings uh, before us. Number one is this. Observation number one. Behind the mask of a hypocrite is a greater love for self than a love for one Savior. Behind the mask of a hypocrite is a greater love for self than the love for one's Savior. We would make this statement that within the heart of a hypocrite, and Christ certainly points this out, is found what? Great selfishness. Great selfishness. Within the heart of a hypocrite, how do we define selfishness? Well, Webster, again, helps us out. The exclusive consideration by a person of his own interest and happiness. This is a big part of the passage here as Christ elaborates, as Christ goes on to to speak to the Pharisees in that house of the Pharisee, uh, he really makes this a a major thrust, a focus of his teaching that takes place here. He gives the illustration in verses 7 and following, he gives the illustration of when they went into feast. So they'd be invited to someone's house, some kind of feast, and as they did so, they chose the chief seats for themselves. They chose the best seats, okay? In a Baptist church, that would probably be the back, no, just kidding, okay. Uh, But in the feast, right, they, they they pick the best ones. The, the ones of honor is what they choose for themselves. okay Notice what Christ says. Verse 11, here's what he says. Notice verse 11, chapter 14, verse 11. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. okay So immediately Christ is saying, we've got a problem here, folks. We look after our own things more than we look after someone else's. We, we look out for number one. We are looking to exalt ourselves. Uh, we, we have a love for self more than a love for Savior. Because the love of Savior shows up in humility. It shows up in preferring others. But now we have uh, going on in you, the religious elite, we have a love for self that shows up in a great selfishness. You want the best for you. You look out for you. you number one is what you look out for, and it's the most important thing to you. See, it's a rightly, rightly been pouring out. In fact, let me back up. Verse number 11 tells us what is the opposite of selfishness. Well, that's humility, humbleth himself. It's the opposite of selfishness. Too often, some people, ah, they excuse away their selfishness. May I just uh, uh, clue you into a few things? I think this is a great statement. See, uh, selfishness—it's not a healthy love of self. I've I've heard people excuse selfishness as a healthy love of self. (laughs) It it is not uh, a um, normal instinct of self-preservation. Rather, it is—and this is a damning statement, condemning statement—it is a deifying of self. That is demonstrated by disobedience to God and disregard for others. When he calls the Pharisees on the table, and boy, this is something you and I ought to take to heart today. Oh my goodness, am I disobeying God? Do I disregard other people? Am I like these these Pharisees, hypocritical, selfish, That so much so that I love myself that I disregard what God uh, has commanded and I disregard other people? Love for them. We are reminded time and time again, what's the second commandment, the second greatest commandment? Love thy neighbor as thyself. We're reminded, yeah, this is huge. This is big. When you're talking about God's uh, commandments, you ought not to disregard your fellow man and you ought not to disobey your God, which is the first commandment. Love him, serve him, live for him. As he exposes this and (laughs) The reality is, he's making a point. Uh, We said, what is the opposite of selfishness? That is humility. What's the opposite of hypocrisy? Well, I would contend, and I would put before you, the opposite of hypocrisy is genuineness. Genuineness, right? Good definition of that is actually having the reputed or apparent qualities or character. One that is true. One that is sincere. One that is, I love this statement, authentic. Authenticity. We hear a lot about authenticity today, don't we? This is the authentic thing. It's not made in China. It's the authentic thing. It's the real thing, right? It's a, this is it, the authentic. And boy, we see that pushed a lot. Well, what does that authentic mean? It's, it's the real thing, okay? It, it's not a knockoff. And, and uh, uh, the quality in a modern definition is the quality of being real, of being exactly what one appears to be. Not a fake, not someone who is a, 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 an imposter. In fact, we put it this way. Authentic is literally the opposite of being a fake, an imposter. Authenticity. You know what Christ is exposing? The lack of authenticity. Literally, he's telling the Pharisees, you're a little bit of a knockoff. You claim to be this, but you aren't this. You claim to be that. And, and how many times might we as Christians claim to be a Christian, but in our actions and our words and our treatment of others, we fall short of being all that god would have us to be okay let's put it into terms terms that i can understand maybe you can too okay we want to strive for being authentic something that's real okay this is the real thing it's called dr pepper that's real what is not real dr thunder is not real this is walmart's attempt at wooing dr pepper fans That's terrible. There's a grocery store down in the south. It's named Giant. Anybody anybody ever been to a Giant grocery store? Fantastic, okay? Giant is even worse. You know what they call theirs? Dr. Bob. People around Bob Jones University say it's named for Dr. Bob Jones, but I don't think it is. Dr. Bob. Can I just tell you? Those things aren't real. They're fake. They're imposters. They're not authentic. They're not genuine. Now, can I just tell you, with that illustration, the reality is this. Every day, you and I are to be authentic. We claim to know Jesus Christ. We claim to be a follower. We claim to be a Christian. We don't take that name lightly. And, oh, it has been tossed about, thrown around in modern secular society. And everybody, well, we joke and you say, you go down south, everybody seems to be a Christian. You'll walk into people who, who say they're a Christian, but they are not authentic if they are not living by the book. It's not authentic it's not real it's a fake it's not at all what christ would have us to do and i'll tell you often you know where it shows up in our hypocritical treatment of others how we treat others how we act and how we live in this life and and how we handle other people so the question is and it begs it this morning how do we ensure how do we make sure that we are living authentically and not selfishly because i'll tell you we live in a world that is becoming increasingly selfish selfish serving self living for self carpe diem seize the day for self it's all about us we're told have it your way right away Burger King started it it's all about us live for you as followers of Jesus Christ, we, we strive. We don't want to be servants of self. We want to be servants of the Savior on a daily basis. So what does it look like? Look back at verse number one. Let's see the negative before we talk about the positive. Look back at verse number one. Did you catch the last statement? And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. That is greatly revealing. You want to know immediately as Christ walks in, he sees them for what they are. He knows them for what they are. They are selfish hypocrites in one of the ways that it shows it up. What are they doing here at this luncheon? They are watching Christ to find something to criticize him about. They're watching him. They're looking at him. Let's watch it. Let's keep our eye on him. Let's see what he does. Literally if we could put it this way, they're they're looking for a chink in the armor. They're looking for something to point out, to make known, to exploit, to condemn him, to, to criticize him. Here's observation number two if we could put it this way. Selfish hypocrites are often the greatest critics of others. Selfish Hypocrites are often the greatest critic of others. They look for failures. They look for faults. They look for inconsistencies. They even uh, what they perceive look for what they perceive as hypocrisy in the lives of others. Here these men are as Jesus Christ comes in. They're watching his every move. They're seeing what he does. They're listening to what he says. They're trying to trip him up. They're trying to get him to make a fault. They're, they're, they're excited about exploiting a mistake in their eyes. They're watching him. They're hoping. He does something that they can use. May I just tell you this morning, it is a sad, sad place for a selfish person to go when they watch others and hope they fall or falter and take pleasure in it. It's a sad place to go. When you are so selfish and you're so hypocritical that you're always criticizing, looking for places for others to fall, uh, fall, falter, fail, Uh, you want to point out a chink in the armor, Uh, that's exactly what these men are doing. Look at verse number two. Notice what it says. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. The dropsy. Okay. Conveniently, we'll talk about that in a moment. There's a man here that has the dropsy. Now, listen to me. Okay. Um, you ever have one of your children, or maybe yourself, you have the dropsies where you drop everything. That's not what this is. I'm just okay. That's not what it is. Okay. Where you feel like you're dropping everything. Okay. Uh, We had one of our kids kind of go through that yesterday. They dropped a lot of things. Things fall and and so forth. Like, man, you can't hang on to anything. That's not what this is, okay? When I was younger and I read this, I used to think that's what this was. Oh, poor guy who's dropping everything. Okay, that's unintelligent. But anyway, what is dropsy? Okay, because here's this man. They put him in front of Christ. And what is it? Okay, let's give a historical aspect of it. It's better known as edema today. Um, It is swelling due to excess fluid in the body. So uh, it actually comes from a Greek word that is a compound word. It has the word hydro for water within it, okay? So it's speaking of water, the swelling of, wa- of the body. It can be a symptom of cancer, diseases of the kidney, liver, and especially the heart. Obviously, we, we talk about people having heart failure, uh, the fluid around the heart and things like that. That's the kind of the idea here. That's uh, really what this is, okay? Either the body overproduces the fluid or it cannot drain it. It leads to unsightly bloated limbs whose movements are limited and awkward. And obviously, in that day, when there was limited medical health, help and assistance in that day in the ancient world untreated dropsy was eventually always fatal serious thing this man's before christ in fact i you, you read the statement there and before him was a man now i here's what i think you know, i'm just going to give you my conjecture i believe this was a plant i believe that they brought this man in as a trap in fact i base that somewhat on verse number four it talks about jesus christ healing him and after christ heals him guess what the man leaves I think they just brought him there, and at the very least, maybe he was invited. But they knew he had this, and they set him in front of Christ. All right, let's see what Christ does on this Sabbath day, because our laws say don't do anything on the Sabbath. And so they set him before Jesus Christ, and they're like, okay, we got him, <laughs> we got him. Now listen, here is a man with a dropsy. Eventually, if not treated, if not taken care of, he will face death from the dropsy, from this disease. Let me ask you this: Do you think they cared? Here's another observation about selfish hypocrites. Don't miss it. Observation number three. Selfish hypocrites often use other people for their own gain. You're just a tool to them. They'll use you. They'll they'll, they'll eat you up, spit you out if we can put it this way. And that was the case here. Many times it's actually on display within the scriptures. They would bring someone before Jesus, a lame person or somebody else that had ah, something wrong with them. They'd bring him before Jesus, ah, the religious leaders of that day. They did not care for that person. They did not care about their suffering. It was just a means to get to Jesus, a, a means to catch him doing something that they think he shouldn't be doing. They used him. My friend, can I just tell you and just encourage you and I, it, was, it is a good thing for you to, and I to ensure that we don't use other people for our own gain. It's a symptom of being a selfish person. When we use someone else for our own personal benefit, our own gain, without regard to their needs, it reveals us as a selfish person. And if you claim to, to care about them, you, you, yet you use them instead, you reveal yourself as a hypocrite too, just like these men. So how does Christ handle it? How does he how does he take this group and confront them and expose them? Look at verse number three. We'll read verses four, three and four. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? I like it. He looks at them and he basically he, he puts into words and in question form what they're thinking. Verse 5. And, and or verse 4, excuse me, and they held their peace. <laughs> and he took him and healed him and let him go, okay? Christ immediately goes on the offensive. I love this interaction about Christ, okay? He doesn't always sit back and let them come after him and ask the questions. He's now asking the questions. Sometimes it's good for us to do that. He kind of pushes the, uh, the issue. He confronts them. He exposes the selfish hypocrisy of those gathered through this pointed question. Is, is it not lawful? And they don't answer Their own hearts condemn them. So Christ heals the man, and then as the man leaves, Christ turns to those that are gathered for that feast, and he gives another observation about selfish hypocrites. He adds a fourth observation. What is it? Observation number four, selfish hypocrites, abandon principles for the sake of advantage. They abandoned principles for the sake of advantage. Let me illustrate. Let me show you what happened here. Okay? One of the things that God repeatedly called these people on the carpet for during his time of ministry, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, was how they insisted on rigid observance of the law, the Sabbath laws, okay? while at the same time, in practice, they did the opposite. They did the opposite. Look at verses number uh, 5 and 6 here. And answered them, saying, This is Jesus Christ. Which of you shall have a, an ass, a donkey, or an ox fallen into a pit, and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. See here's his point, and don't miss it. If it was their donkey, if it was their their oxen that had gotten hurt, was in trouble, that had strayed into a ditch or fallen into a hole, a pit here they wouldn't hesitate to break their own Sabbath rule. To choose not to live by principle, but to live by pragmatism. What works for me? What do I want? Again, what are we serving? Self, we're not serving God. So he knew it. He knew their hearts. Now here's my supposition again. You know what I think probably happened? I can't prove it. I don't think we will have to wait till we get to heaven. I think on the way to that place there, one of them had an issue with a donkey. Wouldn't that be great? That guy probably turned all red when Christ brought that up. Who knows, if it wasn't that Sabbath, I bet you there was another Sabbath when something went wrong with their donkey, something went wrong with their ox, and they, they didn't bat an eye. They didn't think a second to go take care of their ox and take care of their donkey that was in trouble and hurt. And now they're condemning Jesus Christ for healing someone. Oh, thou hypocrite. Oh, thou hypocrite. Now, I'll tell you, it would be a whole different matter. be a whole different matter if it was their relative that had the dropsies. They'd be begging Jesus Christ to heal him, even on the Sabbath or her. They'd be pleading with him to, to do it. But for them, for them, what works best for them is what they'll do. It's a double standard. Christ knew it. They knew it. They refused to admit it. In this case, their silence in verse number six uh, says it all. They could not answer him. Silence speaks volumes. Such is a selfish hypocrite. In modern terminology, what happens? Principles are good for applying to other people's lives. Oh, I can't believe they do that. Oh, I can't believe they said this. Oh, I can't believe they'd act like that. How dare they treat me like that? Oh, those principles are good. We evaluate them based upon these things. But when it comes to our own lives, they don't apply. We don't take those same principles and uh, they're they're no longer applicable to my life. They're no longer convenient and profitable to use when evaluating my own life. Boy, Christ just hits them in the heart. He condemns them for where they are at as selfish hypocrites. They'll look at everybody else and they'll easily condemn. They'll easily run them in the ground. They'll easily criticize and they'll take God's law and beat them over the head with it. But in their own life, they show much grace. There is very little mercy and grace to others. My friend, can I tell you, the the lesson to be learned from the, uh, the, the passage here is to determine not to be a selfish hypocrite in this way. How do we do that? We ask ourselves a question, difficult question. Do I hold others to a higher standard than I hold myself? Do I evaluate their lives, their actions, their words, their interactions with me with a higher standard than I do my own self? Number two, we'd ask ourselves this: Do I more often extend grace to myself while beating others over the head with the law and my expectations? Do I show myself grace, and boy, I make a mistake? Oh, it's not that big of a deal. I had, you know, anybody make that mistake? Anybody would and slip up there. Anybody? Well, I had a good motive at least. I I thought that I was thinking, boy, but then everybody else, woo, will condemn them and beat them over the head with our own expectations and the law and everything else and what we perceive to be their motive and. Wow. That's what these Pharisees were doing. It's exactly what Christ calls them on the carpet for. And, and this exposing of the selfishness and the hypocrisy continues. Look at verse number 7. And he put forth a parable to those who were bidden. When he marked how they chose out the chief rooms. Okay, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be hidden or bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come, and say to thee, Give this man place." And thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the, the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So he cuts to the chase. You see, verse number seven, this is what he says. He exposes it right away. He says, I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, it's about a wedding celebration, and yet, why? why? Why is he doing it? Because he watched them. Jesus Christ evaluated them as they came into that house. And the terminology here of rooms uh, it could certainly indicate a multi-room feast. People were seated in different rooms. Some interpret the word room to refer to couches as, you know, they kind of reclined to eat. And so several tables with couches were set up. And there was a prominent one with a chief place. And so uh, it may refer to that. Either way, Jesus Christ watched them and he saw this. They looked out the chief places, the places of honor for themselves. And so in this little parable, in this little story, he he gives us another observation. Selfish hypocrites prefer themselves over others while pushing others down. Selfish hypocrites prefer themselves over others while pushing others down. As they walked into the feast, they, uh, he knew it. This was con- uh, consistently done by these folks. They would look out the places of honor, the chief seats for themselves. They pushed others uh, themselves ahead of others and gave themselves preeminence and be exalted. I just simply say this, pride and selfishness calls them to degrade others while upgrading themselves, if we might put it in modern terminology. They upgraded themselves, degraded others. And Christ is saying, well, they ought not to do that. But you exalt yourself, time is coming when you're going to be abased. They come and ask you to move. How humiliating is that? Ah, somebody else should be sitting in that chief place. Why don't you move? You need to go back down. Christ said, ooh. He gave that illustration in to show the encouragement of you don't need selfishness. There ought to be humility. See, these Pharisees didn't, kept, didn't care who they stepped on while reaching the top, while exalting themselves. Christ said it's the opposite of how a follower of Jesus Christ should act. Look at verse number 12, if you will, with me. Look at verse number 12. Then he said, he also to him that bade him. This is specifically to the chief uh, um, <laughs> Pharisee. Man, you talk about an awkward party, right? Notice what he says. When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot recompense thee, for they, thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Okay? What else is he exposing? Observation number six. Notice it. Selfish hypocrites give to get, often having an ulterior motive in ministering. Sad, sad glimpse into the window, uh, through the window into the heart. Of a selfish hypocrite oh they may minister they may do things for other people but it's giving to guests there's an ulterior motive of recompense of being paid back of well if i've done that for them they'll do it for me and uh, he uses the illustration of throwing a party a feast and you and these pharisees would always invite their friends they invite the rich those who they knew in turn could pay them back They'd invite them to the 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 feast because they knew that in turn they would invite them to their feasts they would receive. It's what a selfish hypocrite does. Their motive is to gain and to receive when they minister or give. It is very calculated. It's determining what is the best gain, uh, what will give them the best return on their actions. They're ministering. They're doing good to others. And they'll only do it if the payback is good enough. It's not done out of pure heart, with genuine motives. it's an ulterior motive to one's good works, to one's ministering, even to one's kindness. How sad sometimes, if we're tempted to show kindness only with the hopes of ret- getting in return, gaining in return. Getting something out of it is always there in the back of their minds. How very sad was how they operated. And it ought to challenge you and I this morning to ask ourselves this. In all that we do, our ministering, our kindness to others, our giving, are my motives pure? Are they pure? Do I do what I do to get something out of it? That somebody will pat me on the back, that they'll do it in like manner to me, they'll treat me. Or or do I do it simply because God would be pleased with what I do? He would honor him. Am I doing what I'm doing to get, or am I doing what I'm doing truly to give without thought of recompense, as Christ puts it here? My friend, we could go on in chapter 14, and we could continue, but here's the, the bottom line. Let's, let's go back to the foundational, and then we'll kind of compare and say, okay, what, here's what the hypocrite, the selfish hypocrite does. Here's what a servant of the Savior does. But it all starts here. What's foundational? The question is this, who you're serving, self or Savior? Said it before, shared it with you, just two choices on the shelf, serving God or serving self. Just two choices. You're doing one or the other. You're either putting God first and his word, his commandments, or you're not. You're putting yourself first, your own desires, your own motives, everything that you want. You see, we've learned already that hypocrisy almost always begins with selfishness hypocrisy almost always begins with selfishness. What did we observe? Number one, we observed this simple truth. Behind the mask of a hypocrite is a greater love for self than love for one Savior. You see, when you give in to selfish thinking and selfish living, you're well on your way down the path of hypocrisy. you catch that, believer? When you give in to selfish thinking, you give in to selfish living, you're well down the path of hypocrisy. It'll lead you right to it. Show me a hypocrite, I'll show you a selfish person. One who loves self more than they love God. So what's the opposite? What are you and I called to do? Well, the servant of the Savior, the Savior's servants, love and serve God with all that they are. It's a determination, a commitment, a, a, a decision on the part of every believer, Christian, Say, I'm going to serve God. What does that look like? Mark twelve thirty. Christ told us. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, the doing of my life, the living of my life. This is the first commandment. It's a determination to say, you know what? I'm not gonna love self. I'm gonna die to self. I'm gonna put self down so that I live for God. Why? Because God has called us to be authentic Christian, genuine Christians, not hypocrites. We are called not to serve ourselves, but our Savior. What else did we observe? Observation number two, a uh, selfish hypocrite. Our selfish hypocrites are often the greatest critics of others. But what are the Savior's servants? The Savior's servants offer encouragement and praise to others. They realize they themselves are the chief of sinners. There's no means by which they ought to criticize and condemn and, and run others into the ground. I am the chief of sinners. How can I say anything? Paul said, and certainly recorded First 1 Ephesians 4.29, I like this, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Okay, so not anything bad, unkind, mean, proceed out of your mouth, criticism, don't let that come out of your mouth, but what? But that which is good to the use of edifying, build up, to strengthen, fortify, That it may minister grace unto the hearer. It's quite the difference. That's a believer that says, hey, everything you say, the words that come in your mouth, they ought not to be detrimental. They ought not to be critical. They ought to build up someone. They ought to edify and build up. I like what James said. James chapter 4, verse 11. He says this, speak not evil one of another, brethren. I love that period. That should be enough, right? Speak not evil. Be not unkind. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Okay, Speak not evil one of another, brother. But then he goes on, he gives this description. Don't miss this. He that speaketh evil of his brother, fellow believer, judgeth his brother, fellow believer, speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. Notice the statement. You can't do both. But if thou art a judge of the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> what are you and I called to do today? Well, the Bible says, Jesus Christ said, don't be ye hearers of the word, but be ye. Oh, that was terrible. Let's try this again. Starts with do, ends with er. Okay. <laughs> Christ said what? Don't be ye just hearers of the word, but be ye doers of the word. Be a doer of the word. Now, James comes and says, listen, we fail in our responsibility today if you and I stop being a doer of the word and we're a judge of the law. We look around, and we try to criticize, we evaluate everybody else, and we determine whether they're doing good, are they bad, and we try to put ourselves up. We prefer ourselves over them, and you're a judge. You can't be both. But what's our responsibility? Well, as the Bible says, there's one that judges. There's one that judges. And you and I are called to be doers of the word. James says we can't do both. Can I just put it this way, in Christendom and fundamentalism, we probably have too many judges of the law and not enough doers of the law. We need to ask ourselves the important question, am I a doer of God's word or a judge of others? Observation number three was simply this, selfish hypocrites often use other people for their own gain. So what does a, 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 a servant of the Savior do? The Savior's servant ministers to others while dying to self dying to self. Paul summed it up well in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He says this, I will very gladly be, or spend, and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Hey, listen, man, the more I minister, and even though people don't heap that back on me, I still work. I still spend. I still die to self. I'm going to serve others, minister to others. Regardless, Selfish hypocrites says, no, I'm going to use other people for my own gain. What can I get out of them? How can I use them as a means to better myself? Observation number four. You remember selfish hypocrites abandon principle for the sake of advantage. Uh, when it comes to other people, we'll beat them over the head with the principle. We'll beat them over the head with the expectation. But when it comes to ourselves, it's for our advantage. It's pragmatism. What works best for me? We excuse ourselves. The Savior's servant is not that. The Savior's servant lives consistently by the principles found in God's word and jesus christ said it well in john eight thirty one. then said jesus to those jews which believed on him if ye continue in my word then ye are ye my disciples indeed that's your guiding principle those are your guiding truth the word of god in deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 uh, it's quoted later on jesus christ quotes it when he's fighting the devil but here's what it said man doth not live by bread alone how does man how, does man, how ought we to live by by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the lord doth man live I live by principle, the principle of the word of God, not by advantage. I don't use it when it's convenient and then discard it when it's not. No, I, that's a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to be a person who lives by the word of God. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We saw also in observation number five, selfish hypocrites prefer themselves over others while pushing others down. Is that how a believer ought to operate? No. The Savior's servants, what do they do? They prefer others above themselves. Can't get any clearer. Romans chapter twelve and verse ten. Paul said, "To be kindly affection one to another." That's the love, brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another, preferring one another. Paul told the church at Corinth. First Corinthians ten twenty four says, "Seek the profit, the benefit of others, not your own." That's authentic Christianity. I prefer someone else. I seek their benefit above my own. I pursue I, or I pursue what is profitable for them, not necessarily me. And last but not least, observation number six. We said that Christ gives us selfish hypocrites give to get. Often there's an ulterior motive for ministering. What about the Savior's servants? Well, the Savior's servants, they, they give out of love and obedience to their Savior in order to bring Him glory. Their words, their actions are dictated by their love for God. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen. He said, let all things be done with what? Love, charity. Let it be moved and motivated by love. Love for God, love for your fellow man. Those first two commandments, let it move you. Don't have ulterior motives to the good the things that you do, the things that you say. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul reminds us what we do. We don't do it to please men, we do it to please God. An audience of one. My friend, when you live for an audience of one, you will be an authentic Christian. Not this audience of one, but that audience of one. When we say, and I love what he says in that verse, he says, we please God who alone tries the heart. So easy to fool other people. So easy to put on a mask, to look like something we aren't. Yet behind the mask, there can sometimes be a selfish hypocrisy. Can I ask you today, are you wearing a mask? Are you wearing a mask? Are you secretly a selfish hypocrite, or are you truly a genuine, authentic servant of the Savior? Is what people see you as truly what you are? The challenge for you and I today is like Luke fourteen. I don't want to be anything like that Pharisee. Those Pharisees gathered. I don't want to be moved and motivated by my selfishness. I don't want to serve self. I don't want to serve my Savior. And then I'm going to look at every single one of these observations, and I'm going to make sure that does not describe me. And if it does. I want to confess it, I want to forsake it, and I want to get back to being the real thing. An authentic Christian that points others to the one whom I want to please with everything that I am and everything that I do and everything that I say. May God help you and I to be authentic Christians. Father, we thank you for your word. I'm grateful for this uh, challenging passage. And Father, it is poignant, it is powerful in the condemnation we see in it. And Father, we... Uh, would do well this morning to have an inward look, to make sure that in our dealings with other people and in what we show and what we live, that we are not putting on a mask, that we are not hypocrites like these Pharisees. And uh, Father, as we live our lives, as we use our tongue, as we uh, treat others, and Father, as we conduct ourselves, uh, Lord, would you help us to be authentic? Lord, this morning I certainly trust your word has been preached and taught. Now, Father, I pray in these next few moments we would not just be hearers but doers of the word. Father, would you challenge us that where we've put ourselves in the, the seat of the judge instead of the place of the doers? we are quickly condemned to others, where, Father, we have uh, given preference to ourselves other, over others. Father, where we have used others, would you would you convict us of that? Would you help us to see that that is not right? Father, where we have looked and watched others simply to criticize them, to tear them down, instead of exhorting and building them up, would you forgive us for that? And, Father, may be purpose today that to be authentic Christians, those who look like the servants of the Savior, the ones who follow you the principles and the teachings of your word, and to live such lives that would simply point others to you. Father, give us a humility. Help us to live in light of the humility that Jesus Christ Himself showed. Father, would you help us this morning in this invitation? May, may we not uh, think that this message was for someone else, maybe not in our minds stray to someone who we think it should be for, but Father, may we may we do What we ought to do every time we come to your word and may we ask you, is it I? Is that me? Father, where have I faltered? Search me. See if there be some wicked way in us. May we cry that to you in this invitation and Father, and then return, may your Holy Spirit work. May we be honest and open before you. May we allow you to do a great work and Father, as the choir even sang a moment ago, I sure am thankful that you are willing to wash us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and create in us a clean heart. Thank you for being a merciful, loving God. Help us now to throw ourselves upon that mercy and help us to commit to living authentic Christian lives.